Are you in HR Department of One trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, my friends. Grab your coffee and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. I'm your host, Brenda Neckbottle, a 20-year human resource professional ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new best practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Best Practices in Human Resource Podcast. This show is designed to help you take the guesswork out of understanding the human resource component and push through the ambiguity of this changing landscape. I'm Brenda, your host and a practicing HR consultant. I've seen a lot of different things done a lot of different ways, and I'm here to help you weed through the abyss of human resource information and help take out the stress of defining your best practices. So who is this podcast for? Well, It's there for anybody who's in a position of managing human capital in a micro, small, or a growing organization. And there's a great deal of compliance that needs to be met, and having that information and the guidance to implement it month over month is going to be a great help. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. I am grateful that you continue to join me on this adventure. Seriously, the relationship that we're starting to build is really fantastic. However, if this is your first time listening in, we've got another really great show that's going to help you move your HR objectives forward. Now, one of the goals of this show is to provide you with resources. There's so much when it comes to that HR landscape that it is often pretty challenging to find resources or the right resource. I have an affiliates page on my website over at bestpractices.work that lists the top companies I've worked with personally and I know through my relationships and experiences will provide solid solutions for your problems. I'm here to help you connect to vendors, people, and services that will certainly ease the pressure of trying to cipher an overwhelming or potentially an underwhelming amount of data kind of depending upon where you look. And this is going to be here to help you in your day-to-day practices. So in short, I'm going to load you up with a number of opportunities. So today in the studio we've got Lola the veteran comfort dog who may chime in periodically and actually behind me snoring away is her assistant champ the lovable wonder dog. Uh, But most importantly today we're going to be talking about our hot topic. We're going to look at some employment law changes that are impacting across the nation. Um, Our topic today um, is a more of a serious nature uh, that takes away from the last episode. Um, we're going to look at grief in the workplace, and we've got a, a fantastic guest that's with us as well. Towards the end of the show, we're going to have some announcements. Um, I've got some free resources for you, a brand new course that I'm going to be announcing as well. Um, but our resources are very powerful, they're very useful, and I'm extremely excited to share them with you. And then we're going to go ahead and close the show with the quote of the day. 
So before we continue, um, something to keep in mind that the information available through this podcast really is for informational purposes only and does not provide any type of legal advice. Should you contact an attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any issues or particular challenge that you're having, if you do not have an employment attorney, you know, reach out, contact me. I may have the ability to refer one to you through our affiliates program in your local area. So today's hot topic is going to focus in on the ICE raids that recently have taken place over in San Diego and North Carolina. And these raids have taken place as recently as February of 2019. But nonetheless, um, ICE went ahead and conducted raids on a grocery store in, in San Diego, Cal California, and a factory in Sanford, North Carolina. Now, <clears throat> the San Diego company was issued a notice of inspection, which simply means that they had received a, a letter in the mail indicating that ICE wanted to review their I-9s and requested those forms to be produced. And there's a certain amount of time that takes place for something like that. Well, during that process, uh, the, upon the audit investigation of the I-9s, it led ICE to the belief that there were criminal violations that were occurring at the market. So they went in, <clears throat> did their raid, and um, had Homeland Security's investigation arm of ICE recently released a statement saying that the focus of the raid is really primarily focused on the employer, not the employees. However, down in Bear Creek Arsenal in Sanford, South Carolina, which is a gun manufacturing facility, ICE went in and, in and conducted an investigation and identified 27 undocumented workers that were and they went ahead and detained them. 25 of the 27 undocumented workers actually faced criminal charges. Um, I'm not really quite sure exactly what those are. However, two of the 27 face civil immigration violations, which basically means that they are expected to be deported back to their facility. Uh, to their excuse, not their facility, to their original country. So North Carolina is one of those states that requires employers to use E-Verify for all employees. California, however, does not require it either. So when we're talking about this particular subject, I mean, you know, I, you guys know that I don't get in the political uh, arena. I don't get into the political discussions that are out there. There's a lot of it going around. It's not of an interest to me to bring it into the show. However, this country does have a significant um, range of temperature when it comes to immigration status and it comes to the topic of immigration. But nonetheless, you know, every president, oh my gosh, I recently have seen clips going all the way back to the Clinton administration um, where every president has acknowledged the challenges that we do have with undocumented workers in the United States and undocumented uh, people coming into the country. So how does a company protect themselves from an ICE audit? Well, you can't. <laughs> you're, if ICE wants to audit your I-9s, they're going to send you uh, they're going to send you the notification that's going to require you to pull your I-9s and, and make sure that they are safe and make sure that they're compliant, not safe, but they're compliant. Um, if they do come in to visit, <clears throat> you know what? Just bear in mind that these guys hear it all the time. And, you know, they recognize when a good employer is trying to do the right thing. And they certainly recognize it very quickly 
when an employer is not doing the right thing and may not necessarily have the same level of commitment to making sure that you know they do everything that's checked but there is a solution out there and one of the things that you can actually invest in <clears throat> it will cost you $16.99 plus shipping and handling is log on to the bestpractices.org click on book not book time but book and that'll bring you to the link <clears throat> where you can get access to the book that I wrote not too long ago, actually the beginning of this year, called Holy Cow, I Have to Complete an I-9. And basically what this book is going to help you understand is how to take the confusion out of the most important employment forms. And this is exactly the reason why this employment form is so critical that not only is it completed, but it's completed per the process. Now this book really is a companion guide that exists to um, what USCIS has put out in regards to the directions. And they do a pretty good job of it, but sometimes, you know what, it's a thick book. <laughs> My book is not as thick. It's a little bit skinnier than that. And it will give you the opportunity <clears throat> to really, at a base level, understand what exactly it is that you need to do coming from the M247 book, which is actually what the government has released as far as directions and putting this information out there. And that's the reason why it's a companion guide, is because it's going to give you some other helpful tips. So you're going to understand the basics um, of how to go about filling out this form. You're also going to be able to learn a little bit more of, you know, different things, such as like what would happen if you got audited. It provides you some other stuff, and that's actually a real chapter. It's called The Other Stuff. Um, some frequently asked questions. It's also going to provide you a sample form of the current I-9 and um, what the list of acceptable documents are, not to mention why it's important to be very specific as to what you are calling out or what you are telling the employees or potential employees that you can accept as far as the documentation. Believe it or not, there's something that's called document abuse that's out there, which means that you cannot tell a new employee to simply bring in their driver's license and their social security card. You actually have to provide this list and give them um, the opportunity to select which documents they're going to provide to you. So, how you get the book? Very simple. Bestpractices.org. Click on book up at the top and you can purchase the book there. You can also go on to Amazon.com and purchase it as well. And um, that you just type it. You can actually search for it by my by my name, Brenda Neckbottle. It's pretty easy to find. I'm the I think I'm like the only one in the country to be honest with you. So um, feel free. Go ahead and get the book. Learn about what your responsibilities are. Learn how you can take those steps working towards protecting your company and um, making sure that you guys are doing the right thing. So we got quite a bit going on across the nation and we're going to take a look at what those employment law changes are and what the headlines are that are uh, definitely trending across the United States. Uh, so currently we've got two poster updates, um, Indiana and Florida. If you guys are operating in those states or have employees in those states or are intending on having employees in the states, know that the labor laws um, have recently been changed and you can visit our friends over at Labor Law Compliance Centers and use a special code where you can get 25% off the posters. So that's exclusive for listening to this podcast. So the name of the website is laborlawcc.com and you want to enter in the, word, the words posters 2019 
when checking out and again you'll be able to receive a 25% discount and using that code. If you get stuck feel free to reach out to us and we'll be happy to help you out. So across the nation we talked last time about the EEO1 report and that there was some ambiguity around you know what this some of the reporting requirements were going to be. The EEOC has uh, announced that they will have up until April 3rd to provide guidance about the pay data, pay data reporting requirements. So I wanted to make sure that we got a follow-up to you on that because that is a very big topic. Um, it's a very big thing impacting the nation and um, anytime there's anything new that the government rolls out there's usually a lot of questions around oh my gosh what is this going to look like. So that information is forthcoming. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on what it is and as soon as we know anything we'll definitely send something out as well. Um, probably do that through our um, our email blasts. So, Alright, New Jersey. You guys have a lot going on over in New Jersey. Holy cow. Alright, so first off, despite the EEOC's anticipated pay data, New Jersey has also revised the state's Equal Pay Act data reporting requirements as well. Um, also, the state governor has signed into a bill banning mandatory non-disclosure clauses in employment contracts and settlement agreements, which is a very, very, apparently a controversial topic in the state. So you guys have got quite a bit going on over there. Um, with those two topics and there's been a lot of information coming out about that so if you have questions um, you know definitely make sure that you guys are, are looking into it and again when it comes to working with employment contracts any type of settlement agreement please make sure that you are partnering with your employment attorney do not attempt to write an employment contract on your own it, it would it'd just be a mega disaster for you over in the state of Massachusetts, the High Court has found that employees who are exempt from overtime under the federal law are not really always necessarily exempt under Massachusetts state law. So um, again, more information coming out there. Make sure that you're checking into that. Folks up in Minnesota, uh, the state Supreme Court has reversed a decision that employees may assert claims for both workers' compensation benefits and for disability discrimination. So my suspicion, without actually having read the brief, is that this is likely a landmark case in, in the state and probably one to definitely become familiar with. Um, over in, the, in Michigan, the Court of Appeals has ruled in favor of an employee regarding a medical marijuana case. Excuse me. They have ruled in favor of the employer in a medical marijuana case. So again, medical marijuana is definitely continuing uh, to take position in the courts. Uh, and New York um, has released actually some model policies uh, for lactation room laws as well. Oklahoma, you don't hear too much from Oklahoma, uh, but Oklahoma has determined that medical marijuana is now okay to use. However, employers now have enhanced rights to act upon. So if you guys are over in that state, make sure that you are digging into that information. And um, again, you know, we do things have changed. We've talked about patchwork law existing at the state level. Um, we're seeing it at the muni municipality at a local level as well. Cincinnati, Ohio is now jumped on the bandwagon and no longer permits salary history inquiries uh, at the local level as well. So if you guys are down over in the Cincinnati area, make sure that you all are taking advantage of the information and buckling up your practices in regards to inqu 
asking about salary history during the application process. Our main topic of the episode today is um, certainly a, a detachment from what we did in the last episode. Um, we are going to be talking about grief in the workplace and it's a it's a topic that needs to be discussed. Um, a lot of companies you know if they've never experienced something like this there's a lot of lot that comes with it and so we wanted to really start the conversation we wanted to open the doors with this one um, and our guest today he's a really super guy um, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting a chance to talk to him and um, I'm going to, in a minute we're going to be hearing from him. So our Glenn Kelly knows successful business leadership as well as he truly knows the pains of grief from the loss of loved ones. In 1997 he had a life-altering loss which he will share in today's episode as well. So he authored the award-winning grief support book Sometimes I Cry in the Shower and as a rare man willing to open really open up and openly discuss a male's grief emotions he would soon begin to receive invitations to publicly speak at organized conferences since then he has served as a keynote speaker workshop presenter and subject panelist at numerous national bereavement support conferences private businesses universities hospitals churches and a lot more and he's with us today he has discussed grief as a guest on numerous television talk shows, radio programs, internet webinars, and podcasts similar to this one, as well as new newsprint and magazine periodicals. Folks, I'd like to introduce our guest. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad that you were able to make it. And I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. So, um, so you and I have had some pretty good conversations around, you know, the topic that we're talking about today. And you yourself have done an extensive amount of work bringing the discussion of grief forward, and um, and and how you got started in this. So, would you please just for kind of a few minutes, so that everybody knows what I know, <laughs> and would you mind kind of sharing your backstory on how all of this came about for you? Well, absolutely. I, you know, in 1997, I was blessed with a child. He, he came into the world, Jonathan Taylor Kelly, uh, with an undiagnosed, uh, rare but not rare enough congenital heart defect known as hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Uh, you know, his first day of life, they handed him to us and said, uh, you know, he might not make it through the night. But he did, went through a number of corrective open heart surgeries, and finally the prognosis was for a full life. But you know, 16 years later, unfortunately, he passed away in my arms. His fragile heart had given out on him. And, you know, I wandered around for, you know, the typical six months not knowing who I was or what I was going to do with my life anymore. And, uh, you know, I tell people that, you know, I'm sorry, whether it was a, a marinade of chemicals in my brain or whether it was actually Jonathan, something came to me and, and pushed me forward. And mm -hmm. once I got moving forward, I, I started to heal a little bit and I wrote a book. And, uh, and the title of the book was Sometimes I Cry in the Shower. And it was about my my journey towards that healing. And it wasn't long before it got picked up by a few people that thought that I was a rare man that wanted to speak about my emotions in front of others. And uh, I had the opportunity to uh, speak a couple of times at the headquarters of Delta Airlines. And I realized in my own past experience, I had been a business executive and I'd also been a bereaved father. And I saw the impact and started digging deeply into the impacts of what grief does to the workplace. And once I pulled all the data together, uh, you know, the bits and pieces, they always look kind of small when you look at them from the uh, 
from the far point. But once you put them all together, you realize that, you know, grief in the workplace really does have an astronomical effect on on our nation's business. Mm-hmm. So I, I put all that together. I, I still go out and I still speak at uh, uh, grief support conferences across the country. But now I've decided that uh, one of the best things I could do for my fellow bereaved individuals out there is to also kind of get in the back offices of business, as you will, and kind of teach them about the care and feeding of the brief. So not only can they be compassionate towards their employees, which we all want to be, but <clears throat> grief is kind of uh, mortality is an uncomfortable topic. So it's not one is normally brought up in, in business planning sessions. So mm-hmm. one of the best things I could do is try to, to get back there in the back office and let them know the impact that it is having on them. And then, therefore, I am actually sort of supporting my brief soul brothers and sisters out there just as much. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's you're right. I mean, having a contingent plan for grief is not really something um, a lot of small businesses would take into consideration. Um, you know, usually larger corporations um, will have something in place on, on something like that. And if they don't, um, you know, an episode or an incident takes place where they inevitably have to um but it's certainly something that you know our, my audience covers a, a you know a wide variety of different size businesses but my consulting practice targets small and micro organizations so you know working with them to help them understand okay so what are all the things that you're going to experience if somebody you know has a family member that passes away or they're experiencing grief in the workforce but then again also you know what happens when you do wind up losing an employee right. you know to sudden death as well mm-hmm. and so you know when we take a look at that you know how it impacts workplace what was what was something that you experienced when you returned to work well, that's you know, a very I, that's a very pinnacle part of what you were telling me about i repeat this as a just a small anecdote because there are so <laughs> more larger aspects to it. But one of the easiest ones to understand is I was telling you the story and I'll, I'll repeat it again, where, you know, for, you know, five years as I was, uh, and when John passed, I was actually uh, a director in a mid-sized company, 1200 employees. Mm-hmm. I had nine managers who directly reported to me, uh, you know, and over the years, morning coffee, you know, it stops by my door, evolved into, you know, coming in, sitting down and we would discuss, you know, manager one by one, what they were going to do for the day. And it was casual talk. But to me, it was part of my business model. It allowed me to know what was in my manager's mindset, what they were going to do for the day. And we could sure. adjust accordingly. You know, I might say, well, that's a good idea, Jimmy, but why don't we try this instead? Right. So wait, that went on for a number of years. And not only did it give me a chance to to really get a handle on every day without, you know, having a, a status meeting every morning. But it also allowed me to get close with them. We formed a, a camaraderie, a respect, um, you know, and that's important. Uh, we got to talk about family when we were sitting there drinking coffee. We weren't wasting time as far as I was concerned. We were we were developing work relationships. And it became important to me. Those impromptu meetings became sort of my mindset of what I wanted to do. And then John passed away. And I was gone for a little while. Uh, I came back from bereavement leave. And the first thing that I noticed was that nobody was stopping by my door anymore. Mm-hmm. And to a lot of people, that might not mean a whole lot, but it interrupted something that was a, a normal business cycle for me. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. If you think about that small ripple, that was that was beyond the impacts that grief had to me. That was the beginnings of what grief, the, the impacts that it had on the business. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And that's just that's just one small example. 
We had years ago, long time ago, actually, back in my uh, grandparents' hardware store, and I, I know I didn't mention this to you when we were talking, but um, short, 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 short version. <clears throat> my grandparents sponsored the first Cambodian refugee family into the United States. We're oh. back into Hawaii in 1979. Nice. And then, yeah, it was totally great. You know, we're I still <clears throat> keep in touch with the kids today, and, you know, mm. I have 250 relatives that I'm not blood <laughs> blood related to and that number grows every year exponentially right. it seems but um the second family that came to live with my grandparents back in 1981 um had a son we were the same age right. um and of course if you if you studied anything about cambodian history and, and the khmer rouge and whatnot and mm -hmm. you know watching these folks come over you know from you know, the from the, you know, the camps over there to the United States. And all of a sudden they went from fearing for their life. And now they're here in the U.S. And, you know, it's total sensory, you know, wigginess oh, yeah. going on. But anyway, um, so his, his, he took on the um, the American name Bruce. And his first name was Suchiet. And when we were 21, no, we were 22. And he went uh, going to a place called Portlock over in Hawaii and he drowned. Oh. And and so Chia was just an amazing swimmer. Well, here is the thing. So not only did just the loss of so Chia happen, but his parents also worked for the family company as well. Mm -hmm. So we all, I mean, I have the very last photograph I took of him before he passed away. And so I remember very vividly, first off, you know, we experience the culture of what happens when the Cambodians mourn. Right. Um, it's it's a very open I mean, I, I've never seen flailing, wailing people like that before in my life. Wow. I, I mean, yeah, it was amazing. So seeing the culture side of it, they mourn for 100 days. They bring in food. But, you know, we lost Suchiet. Um, it, was a, it wasn't a very pretty situation. Um, but once they were able to recover his body three days later, um, mm -hmm. the real mourning piece of it started. But the day that you know, his mother came back to work. <clears throat> I remember the, the store manager came over and made this big spectacle and put her in his arms. And it was just, you know, tapping her side of her head and she's just now completely lost it. And yeah. he's like, you know, you just get it out of your system. And he's like right in the middle of the storm thinking, how embarrassing. Yeah, I, know. I mean, come on, don't, that's bad. Don't do that. But it, but it did, it, it totally wiped everybody out. And, yeah. um, and I remember, Everybody wanting to give her space, but yet she was a cashier. And this is a hardware store. This is, mm -hmm. you know, a busy one. Right. And, um, you know, she just wasn't the same for a while. But, you know, over time, you know, she got her, she's the most amazing smile. And her son had the same mm -hmm. one. And, and she got her smile back eventually. But, Good. Good. yeah. It, and that reminds me that, that we have lost so many morning rituals. And, and it's a shame. Uh, it's mm -hmm. nice to uh, to look at other cultures and what they do because mourning is actually a, a very very substantial part of our whole healing processes. Mm -hmm. But we live in a different world. I mean, we've grown into a world where we are, you know, we're we're driven by our jobs now. Um, yep. You know, I always talk about uh, the the Monday morning after where I've got the most. Uh, precious family, my immediate family members, brothers, sisters, nieces, uh, you know, they number in the scores and everybody was there when I lost John. And, and once the service was over, you know, the following Monday, the next day, everybody was gone and I was left mm -hmm. there myself. And yeah. of nobody's fault, we're in a different world where it's high paced and, and our jobs and our careers sort of rule what we do. Um, when you're somebody who's a, a leader, 
sometimes uh, you, you think the easiest thing to do is to tap somebody on the side of the head and go, you'll get over this. Well, mm-hmm. You won't. You, you don't ever get over this. You just transition into a different way of life. Yeah, but absolutely. You don't get over it. No, you don't. And, you know, the thing is, is that, and you're right. What you just said is that, you know, once you're going through the process, you know, you go through this, the morning of the immediate loss where you start going through, you know, the various stages of grief and anger and, you know, disbelief and, you know, you're working through that. Right. And <clears throat> then as soon as everything is, is done and you, you've had your memorial services, the funeral is done and over you're right it's everybody's back it's like it's business as usual you know everybody has to return back to the normality but the problem is is that the grieving they're they're in a new norm right now and it's not going to change anytime soon and so um it's also you know it's kind of a little bit like not that people lose lose um sensitivity to the person who's going through mourning it's just we return back to our normal lives where we don't necessarily think about it however there's a concept that I've talked about in the past about how it it comes up with some, you know, clients every now and again, but they'll call and they say, you know, Johnny says that he's got a, you know, a bad back and he can't come into work. And now I don't believe him. Well, that's something you can't see. Grief is not necessarily at the stage after, you know, for the next several months, grief isn't tangible, at least not from the outside looking in. Right. And you can't feel it. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. You, you, there's, you, you know, it's this thing that's hanging out there. And at some point in time, people tend to get impatient with the other party that is still going through the grief process mm-hmm. where they say, okay, this person should be over this by now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of me, the, the person in me wants to smack them upside the head and say, what's the matter with you? You, right. you know, right. you know, put yourself in that position. It's like, why would it be over now? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, hang on long enough and you're going to find out. <laughs> you know, yeah, It's like, let's not get that sensitive. But at the same time, you know, you know, encouraging people to get back into the way into life again sure. is a healing thing as well. So and they've got to because they've got to live a life of peace and purpose. That's why they're here. It's just that, you know, we've gone through uh, and most people don't realize this. And most people have heard the uh, the five stages of grief. I'm sure you've heard of yeah. it. Too, right. Well, yep. that was that was actually developed by Kubler Ross as she was doing palliative care. And she was tending to people that were terminally ill when she developed that model. That model is not designed for people who have lost a loved one. It was designed for mm-hmm. people who know that they are uh, in, in nearing eminent death. So, yes, right. they go through bargaining stages. They go through everything up to acceptance. And in the loss of a, especially a profound loss of a loved one, a spouse or a child, there are no stages of grief. I, I could... I could wake up tomorrow morning in stage five and by eight o'clock be the stage 23 and then back down to stage two by two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. There is no linear timeline to when we're going to get over this. What we do is, is we slowly start to transition. One of the, the, the worst things about the abbreviated uh, bereavement leave that we have in this country, which is the average of four days for a spouse or a child, is the fact that even if I'm coming back to work and, and I seem to be okay, I have just transitioned out of, uh, and this is typical, I've just transitioned out of a stage where those strong emotions, those painful emotions, you know, for the first several days, they were intense and, and almost nonstop. They were relentless. And finally, they've started to lessen a bit mm-hmm. uh, intense, uh, intensity, but they're still going to come in waves. Mm-hmm. And when and where those waves come are not up to me. 
they're up to when the waves want to come and what they're going to be triggered by. Right. And I'm going to put a face in front of you that I look okay. And you're going to hope that I'm going to be okay. Because let's face it, one of the unique things that I bring to this is I look at it from both sides, from the bereaved and from the business aspect. Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm running a business, I'm in the business of doing business. Um, that doesn't mean I don't have to take care of my employees, but at the same time, you know, if you're a for-profit institution out there, you know, you rely on productivity. And what does productivity rely on? Boots on the ground, doing the job. Um, so, I mean, it's tough. I'm presenting to you a face that I'm trying to show you that I'm, I'm becoming okay, and you're just hoping that I'm getting over it. Well, the right. sad thing is I'm not going to get over it. I'm just going to transition over time back into somebody that was that I'm going to be as productive and proficient as I was before, but it's just going to take me a little while. Yeah, I think there are a couple of different types of people. I think you've got individuals that, you know, coworkers <clears throat> that see an individual like yourself who went through this really saddening experience and they want to just wrap themselves around everything and then do what they can to help shepherd you through that. And then there's a group of people that <clears throat> are, are a little bit more distance. They recognize that they understand it. They're compassionate. They're here if you need them kind of thing, but they give distance. And then you got the individuals who don't know what the hell to do with you. <clears throat> they, they don't even know where to start. I mean, they, they may not necessarily have highly calibrated interpersonal skills and that's fine. You know, they feel for you, but you know, they just like, wow, <laughs> I don't know how and, to handle that. And, so, and they cannot be blamed. You know, I, I hear it no. in group support all the time where they talk about the, the silly things that people say to you, you know, they walk up oh, and, yeah. and they're trying to comfort you and tell you you're strong, you'll get over this. Or, you know, there's a number of things I could tell you that would just make you gasp into the air. But um, I always tell them, you know, they don't mean to, it's, it's, we're programmed as human beings that when you're in discomfort, I need to approach you and, and do something to ease your pain. And normally it's to say something, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we're not trained in advance. Nobody is trained in advance unless you're in psychiatry to, to, to walk up and comfort somebody who is grieving. So you don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and sometimes it comes out as some, some awful things. I'll, I'll tell you one instance is uh, the father of a 16-year-old son when he passed. I had somebody that actually said to me, in a very, very meaningly kindful way, at least you don't have to worry about college tuition anymore. So those are the ones you, you want to throat punch. Yeah. Just stand back and say, you know, I, I know they meant well by saying that. It's hard, but you have yeah. to realize that they meant well. They, we are developed to, to give comfort when we can. Yeah, exactly. Even though we may not say the right thing. So from somebody from your perspective that you've had this tremendous loss, <clears throat> you return back to work, and now this awkwardness exists. What what would you, what would your best recommendations be for those who are listening to how do they, how do they approach and how do they talk to that person? How do they, what, how do they be around that individual? Like, what would you recommend? Well, number one, you can, you can forego any of the, the chat that we were just discussing. Um, right. Knowing that you're there and you're willing to approach me means the world. Um, some of the things I do teach people uh, in the business world is, you know, you need to attend a service. You don't necessarily need to go up and say anything to the bereaved employee. Just the knowledge that you're there nine times out of 10 is more than, than you know, any money could ever pay for. It's a mm -hmm. phenomenal feeling to know that the people at work are at least there for you. But once you're in the workplace, don't avoid them. Right. Uh, especially if you're uh, a supervisor or a coworker, a teammate. Don't avoid somebody. 
Uh, that's the worst thing in the world to do. You can approach them, but make it business as usual. Let them know that that you know what happened. And, you know, you're you're in my prayers, um, but let's go to work. Right. Uh, realizing that there are going to be some issues, you you need to develop some tap out words and things like that. But at the same time, just treat us normal. Yep. So let's shift the gear just a little bit. So let's let's talk about what happens when a business loses an employee. Um, and and it doesn't matter if it's an, an employee loss on site or if it's you know the person passed independently, you know, outside of work. Sure. Um, you know, you and I've talked about companies tend to write, it's not like writing a script, right? <clears throat> a prescription. It's like, here, call the EAP. Right. <laughs> so when, what I've done in the past is when we have had employee deaths or I've consulted to employee deaths, it's form a relationship and a partnership with your EAP and identify, okay, who do you think might need that one-on-one attention and work with the EAP? But well, and and have you can have them come on site. You know they have those types of programs. But what are some other things that you would recommend um, that a company does to help usher their workforce through the grief process? Well, another best thing to say is be patient. Uh, our emotions aren't going to come out, especially when we lose a coworker, because. You know, and we talked about this too. We form such mm-hmm. family relationships at work, and and hopefully every forward-thinking business out there allows for a community where we do feel like family. It's a safe environment. We're among family members, um, and it goes beyond that. We'll discuss it in a minute. But one of the first things is, give me a day or two as the coworker of a, a lost employee to sort of process it myself. Okay, we need to figure out how we feel inside before we know if we're going to go seek any help. So if somebody presents help to me on day one. That's not in my mindset right now. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the employee that's gone. I'm thinking about other things. I'm not thinking about helping myself at the moment. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I'm not talking about a long time. I'm talking about a day or two. So initially, just make sure that, that the staff know that help is available. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, to detail it, but help is available. You know, by day two or day three, I would make sure that there's especially by day two. I'm sorry. I'd make sure that there's detailed information out there. They know that they can. They can go see uh, a brought-in counselor or, you know, the help is available through an EAP or such like that. Right. Uh, don't do it day one. You know, and the other thing, too, is that sometimes employees, um, you know, when somebody's going through something difficult, they don't always necessarily make decisions that are either in line with the company's mindset or something like that. And th- this happened to me individually. Um, years ago, <clears throat> when I worked for a Fortune 500 company, we had an employee that left the company and took a job in another state. And really nice guy. I got a chance to, you know, get to know him. We were sitting down having conversations. But what happened is that when he was traveling back, <clears throat> Um, his vehicle cra- his vehicle slipped on some ice and flipped oh. several times and he, and he passed. Oh. So here was this, you know, rising potential star off to his next adventure in life. We all missed him automatically, but then when we found out that he passed away, um, it was horrible. And I had dealt with it all weekend long because it was, you know, all this conversation on social media. Well, then right. I show up to work. He's already gone, you know, mm-hmm. and so... Um, apparently the corporate office was doing something for his former team 
Right. But when I, you know, there was no conversation on social media about that. So when I showed up, I was, you know, upset because everybody else is upset. You know, I've been dealing with it for a couple of days already. Mm-hmm. And now it was the first face-to-face interaction, not just what you saw on your computer. And um, so, you know, it was very obvious I was upset. I went ahead and sent a quick email out to my team directly. Well, then everybody started passing it around and word got out and, you know, unbeknownst to anybody that, you know, HR was trying to control it. Well, the vice president of, or the assistant vice president of um, HR came up. <clears throat> I'm distraught, you know, I'm right. crying and, uh, you know, she's like, how do you know him? And she started, inter- just like, she inter- investigated me. Right. For, <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. And then she scolded me for, you know, sharing information, which they were intending to share. And it got out of it. And I said, you haven't been dealing with this for as long as I have. Right. And that was the worst thing that you could do. First off, don't ever chew me out unless you've heard my side of the story first. And that's not what happened. That, that's, that just rubs me raw as an individual. But in a situation like this where it's very clear and very obvious, it was definitely a misstep on her part. I understand that there's a communications plan. This is an employee that was no longer an employee. Right. So, And you've you got know. to recognize, again, that, that not just the family aspect of it, but we spend mm-hmm. – uh, and I sent you the stats on it. I mean, the, the average employee will spend in the United States 90,000 hours or more in the workplace. We spend more yeah. awake time with coworkers and others on the job site than we do with our family members at home. Relationships develop. And even if those relationships don't go beyond the workplace into a social environment, there's still major, major relationships where we have a an emotional attachment to somebody. And yep. even if not that, I might have a mentor type uh, attachment to somebody who I think that my career might rely on continuing under the tutelage of somebody that, that, that just passed away. Um, there's many emotions that can range just from personally emotional to professionally emotional, if that makes yeah. sense. We talked about the, the death of a, a business owner or a major leader at a company. Mm-hmm. That could instill somebody a sense of grief, and it might sound dispassionate, but a sense of grief where now I'm worried about my career. I'm worried exactly. the company is still going to be here. I'm worried about the leader that's going to replace Bob, and is his management style going to be the same? <laughs> is he going to like me? Is she going to like me? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to my job now? Yeah, exactly. And and it's that ambiguity. It's that, oh, my gosh. And you know what? The thing is, is that... <clears throat> It's, you know, you have to make it okay for people to grieve too. Right. And, and not that companies don't do that. Mm-hmm. And not that, you know, if there's a company that's, you know, it's like, well, you, you know, take as much time as you need. It's like, just make it okay to grieve. Like, sometimes employees are going to know stuff sooner, faster, and, you know, way earlier than yeah. you as the employer do. And, and, you know, if you're trying to control that flow of information, you're only going to do damage to the you process. Need, you need to model around it. You Absolutely. Know? And, and I, I don't know the, the exact situation with the, the, the one you were talking about, but, mm-hmm. you know, she set up something that she was going to do and that's fine. But she's talking about somebody who's no longer employed there, right. impacting a number of former teammates. Right. Uh, and I get that, mm-hmm. but the relationship is there with the teammates. Exactly. So the best thing she could do is is sort of, you know, design something, but then be willing to adapt and model around what goes on in the workforce. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, there's every employer 
when they've been faced with this situation, will always take a step back and say, what could we have done a little bit differently? And what could we have done better? And should, absolutely. And so, um, you know, some companies will get very involved. Some Mm -hmm. companies will be moderately involved. There'll be that more of that, you let us know what you need. We're here for you. You know, that support mechanism. And then there's companies that just don't know how to handle this and they don't get involved at all, right? Right. And not either one of them is incorrect. But there are some things that companies have to be mindful of that, you know, it's – so, you know, you may have like in your company – 1500 employees and you know now the workforce is you know focused in on you to a certain extent but the company still has four you know 1499 other people that they still have to to take care of and so, clients and suppliers and business absolutely. partners and there are many other responsibilities that have to be tended to absolutely so you know there are some things that tend to come up when an employee or is lost or, um, you know, spouse of an employee is lost or something, God forbid, even more tragic, you know, the entire, the employee's entire family. And that's happened to, you know, mothers, children, mm-hmm. spouses, they, you know, collectively can pass in, in tragic events. But, you know, companies, good, like you said, forward thinking companies, companies with that strong ethic value to the employees, they want to do something. So sure. the things that they can do is that they can look at if they want to make a, you know, a quiet donation to help support the family through a trust. That's fantastic. But yeah. I've also seen companies that put the spouse on as an employee and continue to pay that employee's you know spouse the employee's wage but the problem is you've just made that person an employee and you're having and you're paying them from not doing anything at all yeah, and that the labor might have something to say about that oh big time <laughs> absolutely big time they will and and not to mention if another employee finds out about that and they don't, you know, if you're doing that for an extended period of time, maybe not necessarily a full year, but a good chunk of the year, mm-hmm. they find out about it, they're going to go to the EEOC about something, or they're, they're, that's not going to set very well. So, no, you know, not. as a company, don't set yourself up for failure. But then at the same time, you want to, so, you know, the old adage, no good, and no good deed goes unpunished, right? right? But at the same time, where are the limits to where the company should and shouldn't get involved? So, you know, if, if, you know, I had I worked for a company. We had two employee deaths in the same week. Oh. You know, it was yeah, yeah it was something else. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a lot for any organization to go through. But, you know, is it fair to say that the spouses could get X amount of dollars? Absolutely. What you know, what happens if it's the spouse's you know the the, the spouse's child or what happens? You know, it's like at some point in time, the company is going to have to determine where do they draw the line at providing that kind of financial assistance as well, mm-hmm. um, and they have to make sure that they're consistent about it. No, oh, and they have to stay within legal bounds too. Absolutely. There absolutely. is nothing wrong with being compassionate, being charitable. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always say that the basics are to be humane. Um, you know, when you've got, say you've got an employee that has lost a spouse or a child, completely inundate yourself into it as much as you can with, you know, the things that a neighbor would do. You know, have have the house filled with food. Um, you know, make sure that you're staying in contact with the employee. Make sure that you show up at any funerary services. Right. Um, make sure that they know that you're there. Trust me. We still, even though I say that there's always a, a dichotomy with us, we're one part personal and one part professional, you know, we still sort of separate our personal lives from our professional lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when something of a personal tragedy like that happens, our first thought really isn't normally on our bosses and coworkers. 
it's on our own lives and, and what's going to happen now. In the case of losing a spouse or a child, your life has changed completely. Um, you know, your blueprints have just been erased. What you thought was going to be your future building plans have now just been reset. Your first mind is mm-hmm. a job. However, for a company to let you know that they still are a foundation for you is amazing. Just, you know, send food to my house. I know that you're thinking about me, you know, mm-hmm. Send me paper plates and napkins. I know it sounds silly, but, you know, I'm going to be entertaining family. And entertain is probably the wrong word to use for it. But I'm going to have people coming from around the world to, to support me on this. And they're all going to be invading my house. And it sounds stupid, but a roll of paper towels is well needed. Tissues, whatever. And then show up. Send flowers. Send, send You know, wait for what I tell you. Send donations in lieu of flowers, whatever. But don't overindulge, but at the same time, be there the way a neighbor would be there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it has been an absolute fantastic morning talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I I, I certainly enjoy getting this more out there to the employers out there. They, they have to realize that, that grief does come to the workplace. The, the American Hospice Foundation will let you know that one in every four employers even if you're a small business, one in every four employers is currently grieving the loss of somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's, yep. that's pretty huge. Four million active U.S. employees in the United States lose a family member every year. Four million. That's a lot. That is a lot. So people can go online at bestpractices.org. They can read your blog. It is up. Um, where else can they find you if they wanted to find you? They can find me at my website. It's it's rglennkelly.com. Uh, it's R and then Glenn with two N's and Kelly with just one E because I'm too lazy for the second one. So rglennkelly.com. Uh, find me on Facebook under rglennkelly. Uh, Twitter under the same. Uh, LinkedIn under the same. I'm, I'm out there on all the social media. Uh, and there's plenty of information out there as far as grief in the workplace. And, and some, again, some literal stats that will just blow your mind as far as what we are not paying attention to for the bereaved employee. Very good. Ron, thank you again. Oh, you're so very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's amazing. And thank you for the work you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you. practice of human resources doesn't have to be as arduous as it may appear and in the short time that we've been together today we've weeded through a few topics that make the landscape of human resources that moving target. We're here to help you define your gold standard in human capital management, help you solve complex problems that come with employment and managing your people, and help you keep in the know on current and developing changes in the employment landscape. So today I'm really excited I'm usually really excited about a lot of things, but I'm really super excited to share this with you. Um, We have released a brand new course that has launched this week. In our first episode, if you have listened to that, um, we had a guest, Jim Foreman, uh, come to talk on the show about managing the problematic employee. Uh, Jim, myself, and another retired Command Master Chief, Navy SEAL, we have designed a course called FORGE which is an amazing three-day leadership development program that is loaded with proven principles of leadership and team building exercises. We are taking applications now and space is limited. Now this course starts on May 1st. So anybody who's wishing to attend 
will need to apply and then upon acceptance of your application then you'll be able to go ahead and register. So this is a, literally an epic, epic course and if you or somebody you know is in the need of leadership development opportunities or would simply like to hone these vital skills, visit bestpractices.work forward slash forged and register today. Seriously, today. Don't wait because there's a very strong chance that you may very well lose your seat and will have to go on a waiting list. So something new that I've introduced in the last episode um, is a question and answer segment. Um, I would like to hear your questions that you may have about anything relating to HR. Um, we've added a submission form on the website. Again, you can visit bestpractices.org and click on the podcast link from the menu. And down towards the bottom of the page is a submission form for you to post your questions. Uh, your question will be sent directly to me and may be read and answered upon an upcoming episode. So our very first question came from a woman who I believe is English. Uh, she sent it to me uh, via open message and didn't provide her name, but you know what, that's okay. And I, and I hope you're listening because I thought it was a really great question. Her question was, how do you go about starting a podcast on HR? Well, um, I gave it some thought and pretty much my advice for you is that, you know, you do something like I did. And basically I started to identify current things that matter to a particular audience. I built a network of useful, incredible resources for my listeners to tap into, and then I do my homework before I actually start to record. Uh, my number one business objective is to provide 360 degrees of support to my clients and audience. If I don't know the answer, then I'm going to find out for you. If you come to me with a problem, I'll help you solve it in a way that provides you the best outcome possible. Um, I absolutely love 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 what I do and I really appreciate all of my clients all of my business partners my affiliates and my listeners um, it's just been an absolute incredible ride so our second question comes from uh, actually it's a local question John in Virginia Beach his question is how do you establish yourself as an SBA small business for government contracting well there's a great deal of money to be made in government contracting and it is a phenomenal resource out there to help you get there and there's a company called Echo Logistical Solutions they work with private companies to learn how to become government contractors and they work with executives and managers to assist them in strategy development the decision-making process and converting their vision and mission into a successful venture unfortunately it's not an easy question to answer but we have a great resource for you and that is our friends over at Echo Logistical Solutions you can reach out to them at echologistical.com and enroll in an upcoming course and thank you folks for your questions please keep them coming those two are a really really good start off to introduce to the podcast so freebies 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 okay as promised early in the show we've got a free resource for you and we really drive this one home because we know these things are going to work. So first off, before I get to the Uber freebie, um, <clears throat> we're going to continue to provide you with the Strike Force Energy Drink bonus offering. We mentioned Strike Force Energy Drinks in several podcast episodes, and being that it all started um, with how we kicked it off during wellness programs, we're going to give you the opportunity to continue to save money while you kick the can to other energy drinks in the market. Strikeforce Energy is a sugar-free, no-calorie, healthier alternative to other energy drinks on the market. You can choose from either their individual packets or their pump bottles found in four flavors. Visit StrikeforceEnergy.com and enter the new and updated code 
AFL, that's Alpha Foxtrot Lima, Brenda, my name, B-R-E-N-D-A, no spaces, 455. AFLBRENDA 455 to receive 20% off the retail price of Strikeforce. You can also find more information about Strikeforce on our affiliates page at bestpractices.org. Now, here's the Uber freebie, right? Lastly, I know how confusing it is to keep track of all these compliance deadlines required in this field. And by the way, there's another one coming up at the end of this month. Um, I also know uh, how challenging it is to find the time to get all these things done as well as the other proactive HR components that you guys are working on. I've created an HR calendar that lists all of the compliance deadlines to relieve the tension of having to figure these things out for yourself. The calendar includes mandatory filing deadlines, nationally recognized holidays, as well as a few best practice recommendations sprinkled in. It's a bunch of compliance information consolidated onto one page. Print it, Pin it up in your office and use it as a tool to help you keep all of those parts and pieces of the HR puzzle connected. To download this free tool, visit the website at bestpractices.org and click on the link at the bottom of the page. And you know what? Dawned on me. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think about this, but I have realized that we have not been sharing where you guys can find us. I know we talk about the website, but did you know that you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram? So if you're an Instagrammer, you can find us at Best HR Practices. And if you're a Facebooker, then you can find us at Best Practices in HR. So unfortunately, those two names were not, you know, were not, couldn't make them the same, but that's okay. You can definitely, definitely reach out to you. Follow our content. We've got a lot of really uh, fun things and announcements that are coming out as well. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'd love to hear from you. If you're struggling with a particular HR issue, reach out to me. I'm here to help you be successful. This is what I do. Uh, best place to start is look on the website. You can now also follow us on social media, again, over on Facebook and Instagram. Take time to schedule a call and kind of talk through some of your challenges. And you can also request a needs analysis meeting to identify strategic opportunities uh, to help align with your business objectives. But you may not have anything significant, and scheduling a call or requesting a meeting isn't really necessary or it's not the right time and that's fine but if you like what you heard today and you know you need to stay up to up to date on important changes and continue to get advice on how to work with them then visit bestpractices.org click subscribe and sign up today to have my best practices delivered to your inbox so we're going to close with the quote of the episode it's short it's sweet it's simple but it is hugely impactful and i absolutely love it so the quote is there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. Everybody, thank you again for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. 